Hi, church. It's Jim. I'm a late pastor here at Hope Jersey City, and I'm here to deliver the word to you. Um, the word of God comes to us from 1 Kings chapter 17, verses 1 to 16. And this is the word of the Lord. Now Elijah the Tishbite from Tishbe in Gilead said to Ahab, As the Lord, the God of Israel, lives, whom I serve, there will be neither dew nor rain in the next few years except at my word. Then the word of the Lord came to Elijah, Leave here, turn eastward, and hide in the Karit Ravine, east of the Jordan. You will drink from the brook, and I have directed the ravens to supply you with food there. So he did what the Lord had told him, and he went to the Karit Ravine, east of the Jordan, and stayed there. The ravens brought him bread and meat in the morning, and bread and meat in the evening, and he drank from the brook. Sometime later, the brook dried up because there had been no rain in the land. Then the word of the Lord came to him, go at once to Zarephath in the region of Sidon and stay there. I have directed a widow there to supply you with food. So he went to Zarephath where he came to the town. A widow was gathering sticks and she and he called to her and asked, would you bring me a little water in a jar so I may have a drink? As she was going to get it, he called, and bring me, please, a piece of bread. As surely as the Lord your God lives, she replied, I do not have any bread, only a handful of flour in a jar and a little olive oil in the jug. I am gathering a few sticks to take home and make a meal for myself and my son that we may eat it and die. And Elijah said to her, do not be afraid. Go home and do as you've said, but first make a small loaf of bread for me from what you have. Bring it to me and then make something for yourself and your son. For this is what the Lord, the God of Israel says. The jar of flour will not be used up and the jug of oil will not run dry until the day the Lord sends rain on the land. This is God's word. Um, I'd like to open us uh, in, in a brief prayer. Um, Heavenly Father, may you bless this word. May you, may you use it to speak to our hearts. And may you use it to sustain us with your life. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Um, Israel, about a little over 800 years before Jesus, was experiencing a government, or I should say uh, a leadership change, and a religion change. Um, King Ahab of Israel married the Sidonian princess uh, Jezebel. If you guys know anything about Ahab and Jezebel, <clears throat> they were like they were like the Bonnie and Clyde, right? But not in a cool way, in a really, really bad way. They were murdering all the prophets of Israel. Uh, they were hunting them down one by one. They were setting up shrines to these idols of fertility and success and, and, um, and rain. Um, these idols called Baal or Baal, uh, I'll, I'll call them Baal from now on, and Asherah. And it's at this moment that Elijah comes out of the blue. And Elijah's a prophet. We don't know a lot about him. His name literally means, uh, my God is Yahweh. So it's kind of a cheeky name because every time you call his name, you're, you have to say, my God is Yahweh. 
And he comes out of the blue and he confronts King Ahab boldly saying that you're basically, I'm kind of paraphrasing, but he says, you're, you're relying on these false gods. You think that they're bringing you success. You think that they're bringing you rain. But I'm telling you right now that there will be no rain except by God's word. Because everything is sustained by his word. And so that's, that's kind of the crux of the message today. Is that where can we find hope in troubled times? And we can find that hope and that life in God's word. And that's the message here. Uh, something to know about droughts. Uh, droughts are awful. Um, we don't experience them here in our part of the world. But when they happen, especially in the ancient Near East, uh, the world wasn't globalized. You can't import food or water from any part of the other, other parts of the world. You, you basically, you had no water, you had no crops. That means you had no animals. It means you had no livelihood, and you had to ride it out. Um, that, that meant increased wildfires, increased crime, increased anxiety. And so, I mean, just imagine Jersey City, you... You turn on the faucet, there's no water. Imagine you go, and the only water you can find is somewhere out in Connecticut where there's a hole in the ground, and all the population is basically trying to get water from that one hole. And that's how it was. It was a scary, and it was a very dark time. It was a very, it was a very sad time. And that's, that's what happens here for three years. And during that time... God commands Elijah to do some really, really remarkable things to show that he's God and to show that he, he still cares. He tells him first to go east. And that, that's interesting because in, in the Old Testament, east always symbolized uh, a departure from the presence of God. Uh, if you see Adam and Eve leave the Garden of Eden, um, they're, they're told, it was, it's told to us that they went east of Eden. Uh, if you go further into Genesis, you'll find that people who, uh, or civilizations that departed from, from there, kept going east. They found a plain in Shinar, and they built the Tower of Babel, right? And so the further and further you go east, symbolically and spiritually, it, was, uh, it meant that you were going farther and farther away from God. And so, but God tells Elijah to go there, go east. And that's, that's really peculiar, right? Um, and so... I want to say this in a couple of points. Um, in troubled times, God can sustain us through his word, but he does that especially when, and this is the first, this is the first point, um, when we're disconnected or uncomfortable. Um, why do I say that? When God sends Elijah east, he's sending him, he's sending him to a place called Karit Ravine. And Karit in Hebrew means cut off. And if you know anything about Jewish culture, the idea of being cut off literally means that, that you're cut off from God's promises. You're cut off from God's uh, life-giving force. You're, you're cut off from your people. And you're cut off from the inheritance that God has for you. So here is Elijah east, east of Israel, beyond the Jordan. He's at a ravine called Cut Off, and he's being fed by ravens who are traditionally, um, in the Jewish law, unclean animals. They're dirty animals. They're nasty. And you got to ask yourself at this time, 
how does how does Elijah feel? You know, Elijah probably doesn't feel good. He's he's in this state of being cut off from his people. He feels cut off spiritually, and he must feel like he's being cursed uh, or punished um, or dirty. But if you know anything about Elijah, you know that that's not the case. Elijah was a man of God that God loved and used mightily. Uh, and so that was far from the truth. It couldn't be him. But when we, when we see him there, we think we're supposed to feel sorry for him. We're supposed to say, man, this, this sucks. Like, you shouldn't be in that position. You're a man of God. But that's where God sends him. And I think it's because God was preparing Elijah for something. Um, he puts him in that place to allow him to understand maybe what it feels like to be cut off. I'll tell you why I think this in a moment. To, to understand what it feels like to be considered dirty or, or like a nothing. And we know that many people in Elijah's day felt this way. There were many pariahs, social pariahs, religious pariahs, uh, even racially people who, you know, different races considered other races as dirty, right? And so Elijah's in this place. And I believe that it's because God wanted to widen his perspective. And sometimes God does that with us, right? Uh, and the reason why I believe he does that is it's with the goal of compassion. Uh, and why do I say that? Um, Elijah ends up after this with the widow, as you've read. And the widow is not Jewish, uh, and she's, at a, as we'll see, at a very, very different class as everybody else. And I believe that Elijah, as a Jewish man, God is trying to show him that I can bring sustenance through anything. It doesn't have to be the way that you think it is. Um, and if you're not okay with that, well, I'm going to teach you. I'm going to teach you how to be okay with that. Um, you're, you're a man of God, and that's good. But I'm going to teach you what it's like to, to be totally at the mercy of, of receiving from me and my word. Because I want to show you how much I love you. And I want to show you how much in control I am of this whole situation. So he's there. And a lot of times God will use that in our lives to help us to learn how to be more compassionate to those around us. And I think that's part of the, the message here. And then the other interesting thing is before he transitions is um, the river dries out. And, you know, you might look at that and say, this is terrible. Like, it's just getting worse. If you're, if you're, you're a first-time reader of this and you're, you're very perceptively reading through it, you're, you're thinking, this is terrible, right? Um, he's cut off. He's, he's eating from dirty birds, uh, especially if you're Jewish and you're reading this. And, you, and then you're like, and then the river dries out. The, the only thing that he had, and it's gone, but it wasn't that it was the end. It, it was signaling the beginning of something. It was the beginning of Elijah's mission. Um, a lot of us can be tempted to be uh, bitter when, when, when things that we rely on dry out. Uh, and I think God is trying to teach us and trying to teach his people that when things like that happen, it doesn't necessarily mean that things are getting worse or that things are ending. It means that things are changing and that God is... God is taking us somewhere 
that he, that he has a plan for us to be. And that leads me to the second thing. And it's, it's, it's this, that God's word can bring us life when we are desperate and yet willing to believe. God's word can give us life when we're desperate and yet willing to believe. Uh, and that brings me to Zarephath. Uh, Elijah reaches Zarephath, the city. It's a Phoenician city in Sidon. It um, wasn't a, a really remarkable city, but it was known for its grain and oil exports. Uh, it, was, it was a place where uh, the surrounding areas really relied on uh, for grain. And so when he goes there and you, you find that there's just no grain, there's no oil, that's like going to New York and finding no pizza, right? That's like going to L.A. and finding no actors or San Francisco and finding no tech. It's bizarre, it's crazy, and it's, it's signaling to you things are getting really, really bad um, because this is a grain and oil city. And there we meet a widow. And the widow is, in all of the ancient Near East, very, very low on the socioeconomic spectrum. Um, there just wasn't an institution to care for them very much. Uh, they had to rely on donations. A lot of widows ended up sometimes having to abandon their children and go into prostitution to survive. Uh, and then, so you had a lot of orphans at that time. But this widow had a, had a son. And she, you've got to imagine, like, there's no job, there's no child care, there's, no, there's, no, there's nothing. And she's relying, figuratively speaking, on ravens to feed her, right? She's figuratively speaking, have been, has been drinking from the river of the Cutoff Ravine for some time now. And how unloved and how broken and how afraid and how exposed was this woman as she lived as a widow. And we know that in, in 1 Kings 17, 18, we didn't read this, but if you read a little bit more, and I encourage you to do so, um, her son dies, and uh, when her son dies, she, she, she tells Elijah, she lashes out, and she says, um, I'm going to read it to us, read it for us here. She said to Elijah, what do you have against me, man of God? Did you come to remind me of my sin and kill my son? And that's, that's amazing. Like, on initial read, you're like, she's angry, and she's, she really doesn't like Elijah. She thinks he did it. Um, but the truth is, is that if you read this again and again, what really comes across is that you're noticing that she, she's not angry at Elijah. It, she's, she's, she's showing that she's been blaming herself for something this whole time. She says, my sin. And isn't that how m most, if not all of us, respond to tough times? We think, I did something wrong. I made a mistake. I am a failure. And God is punishing me for it. And I think the reason why she, we, the, the Bible shows this part of her and, and, and shows exactly what she said to Elijah is to show us that nothing could be farther from the truth. God isn't there punishing us. He's not there trying to do something so that, you know, to grind us into the ground because of some small thing we did. But God is showing that he's there for this woman. In her, lowly, in her lowest state, there's a man of God with her. And, and, they, and God has provided through those means. 
So when bad things happen, definitely our vision of God and ourselves can be distorted. But I think it's really important to see that it's not that. It's not that God's punishing us. It's that the idols of the world, the false gods, and the things that we have or, or they have relied on and thought meant something became nothing. And what's left is our total reliance on the word of God. Um, in verse 12, she says something interesting. She says, as the Lord your God lives. And the exact same thing Elijah says to Ahab. He says, as the Lord, the God of Israel lives. And, he, you know, it's kind of like an emphatic statement. Like, this is sure. This is 100%. And the reason why she says that is she's saying, I don't have bread. It's all, this is all I have. And I'm going to eat it with my son. We just plan on dying after this. And the reason I think that she says that is this woman, she has some pretty amazing faith, right? The Bible says that God told her to support, um, support Elijah. And like when he comes, he asks for what? What does he ask for? He said he asked for water. And what's happening right now? There's a drought. What's, what's more precious? I mean, you guys watch Man vs. Wild. What's more precious, water or food? right? Um, water. <laughs> water is much more precious. You can survive without food for maybe a month or two. I can survive maybe three months. Um, but with water, two, three, four days maybe, maybe a week. Um, but that's what she gives him. And this woman already has a ton of faith and a ton of obedience toward God to do that when she has a son. Um, and she gives it to him. And he has the audacity. I mean, can you imagine if somebody came to me and I was in her situation uh, with my son and is like, eh, I already gave you water, but now you want my, my rice? Um, I'd be like, get out of my house. <laughs> like, get out of my face. Um, but Elijah says to her, do not fear. The bowl of flour shall not be exhausted, nor shall the jar of, the, jar of oil be empty. Thus saith the Lord of the Lord of hosts, right? Like, this is the word of God. And, he, and he, he proclaims it to her. And what happens after that is she literally chooses God's word over the bread. And what that teaches me is, I mean, there's so much there. Like, um, that when we're desperate, and yet still willing to believe in our desperation that God's life will spring forth life in us, then for you and me, the promise is the bowl of flour was not, will not be exhausted, nor will the jar of oil become empty, according to the word of the Lord, which he spoke through Elijah. That's supposed to be how we're, we're supposed to, that, that's how we're supposed to read it. Um, and so that takes me to this last point, which is um, when we, God is able to bring life to us through his word, especially when we seek Jesus in the word. And you're thinking, where, what? <laughs> How are you suddenly making this about Jesus? Um, I get that. But it's not something that I'm deriving from their story. It's something that I'm deriving from our story and what we know now as Christians or as people who have the New Testament um, I saw in the, in the Hebrew that <clears throat> the, withered, the widow, the widow, <laughs> the widow, widow gathered 
two sticks in verse 12. Two sticks. Uh, that's very interesting, right? Because in the first part, when she, they, it says that he was, she was gathering sticks, it was just sticks. And then it's two sticks. The English doesn't translate it that way, but the Hebrew does. And I was looking this up. I was like, man, am I just crazy? Because I, I want to make sure that I'm right about this. And I found something that St. Augustine said. And St. Augustine said something simple, si similar. He said, I see, basically, I'm going to paraphrase it because it's kind of long-winded. But he's like, I see bread. I see oil. I see Elijah, who's like, who's like Christ. And then I see two sticks. And I cannot help but to see the gospel, right? I cannot help but to see the cross. And that this widow was in need, in the desperate need of a savior. And why I say that we need to seek Jesus in the word is that what, what she was able to do by choosing God's word over bread, it's kind of a, a small principle. It's, a, it's an important principle, but it's an overlooked principle of when we choose to give God even the little thing that we have, God tends to multiply it massively, right? Um, it's over and over in scripture. Abraham was about to surrender his son Isaac. And God stops him and says, no, you're going to give up your only son. Now I know you really love me and that you believe in me. And what happens? Abraham becomes the father of many nations. He's the father of us spiritually. Like people and, and souls that are numerous and you could never count. The same thing happens with, with um, the boy, the little boy who had some loaves and some fish, gives it to Jesus, and he feeds thousands, right? Over and over again do I see this in Scripture. And what, what God is, I believe, trying to tell us is that there's some level of faith that if, if, we're, if we're willing to trust him, if we're willing to trust him and entrust him with what we have, right? And if we're willing to hear his word and say, God, I, I trust that. I believe that. Even if it's uncomfortable for me, even if I feel disconnected, even if uh, I'm desperate, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna, I'm gonna to try this. I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to trust in you. God makes a promise to us that he will be faithful. And that brings me to the body of, of Christ himself. The Bible says, Jesus declared, I am the bread of life. And whoever comes to me will never go hungry. This is John 6.35. Will never go hungry. And whoever believes in me will never be thirsty. And then he says, and I think he, I believe he's in Luke 12.24. I, I really do think that he's referring to the ravens that fed Elijah. And he says, consider the ravens. They don't sow or reap. They have no storeroom or barn. Yet God feeds them. How much more valuable are you than birds? And I, I've read Luke 12, I don't know how many times. And toward the end of it, there's a part where Jesus says, you know, just sell everything, give it to the poor and follow me and, and seek first the kingdom. And, and I thought, that's, man, that's, that's really hard, right? Like, I don't know anybody who's really done that. But um, I think that's kind of missing the point. I think the point of Luke 12 is that Jesus is trying to explain to us how valuable and how precious we are to him and to, the, to God, the Father. And the reason why he wants us to know that is because God is about to give his only son, right, uh, Jesus, so that we would have life. 
and the way that we have life is that from now on, we, we don't have to doubt how much God loves us. We don't have to think I'm being punished or cursed because we can no longer be cursed in Christ. In Christ, Jesus Christ uh, is the fullness and, and, the, and the, the fullness of the grace of God to us. Romans chapter 8, verse 32 says this. He, God, who did not spare his own son, but gave him up for us all, how will he not also, along with him, graciously give us all things? And so the reason why I think the point is that you and I are, are worth so much to God is that well, only when you know, and only when you believe you're that precious, will we be able to live such radical lives. And I think that if you have faith in Christ in this way, and if you believe this word, this gospel, that we believe as, as people who believe in Jesus, you can trade in your cookie for an unlimited amount of cake, and you can trade in some of your water for an eternal spring. So in times of trouble, when everything seems to fail, and when the enemy is accusing us of, of our worthlessness, when we find Christ in Scripture, we can find our worth. And it's, it's belief in that that gives us life, life eternal. Um, let's pray. Father, I want to pray for this community, for our city, Lord God, for this world, Lord God, that's, that's in turmoil, and we're all together in troubled times. And I ask that, Father, in our isolation, dislocation, our, our discomfort, in times when the things that we relied on run dry and when we feel desperate, may your word enter into our homes, into our hearts, and spark life within us again. In the name of Jesus Christ, we pray.